Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we're welcoming the incredible Eileen Dietz to the show. Eileen is an actress. Uh, you've seen her, The Guiding Light, General Hospital, Constantine, Creepshow 3, Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie movie, and most notably, her iconic portrayal uh, of all the scenes of The Exorcist that Linda Blair was not going to be doing, which is the desecration of the crucifix, the fight with Father Karras, the vomit, everything everything cool in that movie that I just grew up <laughs> loving, Eileen was part of it. But she's also an author of the incredible book, Exercising by Demons, An Actress's Journey to the Exorcist and Beyond, and a book. Uh, maybe we'll start with a book, just kind of, I know it's out there, and I read it, so to kind of step back a little bit further, at the start of the pandemic, I, I never really got into reading. I did all the stuff in college I needed to do for the credits, and I read all the classics. But when the pandemic hit, I felt that, man, there's so much time to kill, that why not kind of just start reading books and so i read a lot of autobiographies and then i started watching movies again all the ones i watched i watched Exodus a bunch and i got kind of to the point where it's like man i wonder what the actresses and people are doing like it's so fascinating this life they've lived and sure enough one thing led to another i did research on the exorcist and i used to live in dc so i took a lot of stupid pictures on those staircases and uh, i stumbled upon your book and i want to say eileen first of all it's great to have you on here too this book is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you have to give credit to Dan Lubier. He actually wrote it. I just told him about things that were going on. So he was the one that made it sad when it's really sad and funny when it's really funny. So we have to give him all due credit. Was it difficult for you to go back in time and kind of, if you, I mean, obviously, if you read the book, you know, like the process why you, you kind of didn't want to do it but the, the level of excitement you had after doing it. And it's a, it's a great book on just following your dreams, let trust yourself, put the work in. Was it difficult for you to kind of put that, those ideas on paper, like rehashing these old memories? Um, the only really difficult part was with Warner Brothers and what happened to me when I came out to California. And I was kind of afraid that, you know, if it was published, they would do something since they, you know, um, there was just so horrible when I came out to LA and, you know, ugh. so I, I had a lot of fear about that, but um, they didn't care about me. <laughs> and now, um, you know, Pazuzu has been the icon for Warner Brothers that they, they don't use Reagan or Linda or all those people. Every time they do something with it, a picture album, you know, a picture, the the rate, uh, the uh, recording they put out, um, all their PR is always Captain Howdy or Pazuzu. So, but they haven't turned around and said sorry yet. <laughs> it, 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 to kind of to talk about that movie specifically, what I found fi fascinating is that and when you just watch the movie, if you're not, into, if you just watch the movie for the, the movie's sake and you don't do any research on it, you assume not to discredit Linda Blair, 
but she's the one doing all these stunts or certain people. And in any movies today, you don't realize the stunt doubles and the the people behind some of these big action movies. And all Except I was that, never, I never double, so we we can't use that term ever. Right. You know, it, it, I, I'd appreciate it if you never used that term. I was a principal actress in the show. I was paid a principal salary. I get residuals since the mid seventies. Right. And, um, the, the irony is that if the audition had been for a double or a stunt double, I don't do stunts, but everything people have said, then I would never have done the movie because I don't do extra work. And being a double is extra work. So that's and that, the irony. That's kind, of, and that's kind of what I was getting into because it's like, if you're just passing by the movie, you think it's the same person doing it. But when you research and realize that the Captain Howdy, that iconic face, that image, it's you, it's you right here. It's really unique that you have that aspect of the movie. And like you said, when it comes to the branding of that movie, especially for a movie that at the time, it's still an incredibly scary movie. It's still an amazing movie. But the subject matter and a lot of the stuff in the movie kind of scare people. Like, how are you, why is this even going out here? Is this movie going to be rated X? But to have your face kind of withstand the test of time for that, it's just kind of surreal. Yeah. Um, well, interesting. I'll tell you a piece of trivia now since you brought it up that Warner Brothers wanted, and I guess Billy Freakin, um, wanted everybody to think that a little 12 year old had done everything in that film and it would be scarier, which is, I think, absolutely ridiculous because the only right. people that even look at the credits are maybe people from New York or, you know, LA. No one, no one cares, but there were actually six people, six people that played that part. If you talk about um, the lighting double, the stunt double, the girl who did the spider walk, which was neither one of us, Mercedes McCambridge, who did most of the voice, Linda and myself. So they're really upset that, you know, they didn't get Oscars for anything except sound and stuff, but it's my contention that if they had put that out there, that's movie magic, as far as yes. I'm concerned, that they were able to create one character out of six. Um, that's amazing. And I think they would have won the Oscar they so coveted, although horror films don't win Oscars. And I think the only actress that won an Oscar was Kathy Bates out of Misery. Misery. That was a yeah. thriller. I mean, or Malcolm McDowell would have won an Oscar for Clockwork Orange. Um, but dis despite that, and um, they actually blame me um, for them not getting Oscars. <laughs> I had incredible amount of power. I could control the Academy of Motion Pictures, Art and Sciences. Just little me. But that's what they thought. And um, Gil Cates, who was president of the Academy, said if the exorcist won the Oscar, he would quit. Um, so all kinds of things were involved in that, but I still go back to the thing that if they had said there were six people creating that role, that they might've gotten the Oscars. And Linda still hasn't talked to me um, in all this time, because she thinks that I cost her an Oscar. And if she had won the Oscar, she would have had a career. It's it is so fascinating the politics of movies, and again, like you said, just from a casual viewer, I watch these movies just for the sheer fact. Man, this is so cool! Like 
This is the first time seeing exorcism on video. Like it feels so real. But as you break down, like the, what goes behind the scenes and the drama, and maybe it's not drama, maybe it's all good stuff too. But the idea that people can't just be appreciative of the work someone else does or the work that goes into a certain character. And for you, when you get the script, it, you at a time of your life, you're kind of like, man, I like this is kind of questionable. Or are you just kind of like, I'm going head first in this because on paper, everything you do portray in this movie is insane. And it's legendary. It's iconic. It's all visual stuff. And anyone that loves horror movies is going to remember it. But when you, before you start filming these scenes or even after you do, do film them, are you kind of like, man, what have I done? Nah, no, 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 not ever. Because, um, you know, um, first, I, when, when I was hired, first of all, which you, I'm sure you read in the book, Yes. When I was hired, it was really just to do the masturbation scene because they felt Linda was too young. Um, but that's not what the yeah. contract said. My, my contract was for, um, I, I, I don't know how many days or how much work it was, but that was, um, I'm, I'm not sure. But um, wait a minute, I, I lost my train of thought for a minute. Um, so, uh, yes, so yes. I never actually read the whole script. Uh, before I was cast. I did do a screen test though, interestingly, and I did audition for it twice with the casting director. And I did meet Dick Smith. So it was a huge process for someone that wants to call me a double. But no, it, it was just fun. And I had done a lot of work before, actually. I, I was on a couple of soap operas and I did a crazy PBS special with uh, Sam Waterston. And, yes. um, which was so much fun. And I did a couple movies. My first movie was called Teenage Gang Debs and they fought with knives and stuff like that. So I had done work, but I had never done a big studio film. And right. I knew Max Van Sydow. I mean, I knew of Max Van Sydow because my mother took us to see foreign films. So I had seen the uh, Igmar Bergman films. So I, that I was just excited about. And, and that's in the book. You know, if you read the book, I talk about the first day of shooting. And I also chose to talk about a lot of funny things that happened because most of you guys out there know or want to know, it's the most popular question ever asked me when I do horror conventions is, did scary things really happen on the set? Everybody wants to know that. Right. I won't tell. <laughs> it's so as you go through the movie and it, 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 it gets out there, people start watching it. At what point did you realize that your, your image of Pazuzu, AKA Captain Howdy would be so iconic? And like, was there a point, do you remember the specific time where you're like, wow, I'm seeing this image everywhere, whether no, it's a no, poster. It, it took years. It, it literally took years, and um, I didn't know I, I didn't know anything that was happening. They hurt me so deeply that I just kind of backed off from from the exercise. I thought my career was over. Right. Um, Billy freaking said, "You'll never work in this town again." <laughs> Three agents dropped me because at that time they really cared about what the studios thought, um, and I, I, it, it was incredible. So I, I just backed away from it and didn't do anything until, um, as you know, I joined this religious science 
something and ran into Dee Wallace, who I knew. And then yep. I had lunch with a very good friend of mine who I didn't play with. And he said, do you know that picture is on the cover of Fangoria magazine and the cover of a book? And I said, no, I didn't. And Dee and I ran into each other again. And she said, would you like me to meet my manager, Chris Rowe? And all the rest of that was history. But I didn't know anything that was happening. And the, the Captain Howdy thing has just grown and grown. There was not something that was recognized way back in the beginning. But somehow it just grew and grew and grew. I don't know. How does that happen? <laughs> through fans? Certainly wasn't through the purpose. I don't know. But that, that, that's what happened. And I wonder, I mean, when I first saw it, and this is going back, uh, 36 now, but I, I was probably... 12, 13, that age group there when I first saw the movie and my parents were like, hey, just don't look at this scene or whatever. But for whatever reason, outside the vomit and the crucifix scene, the the idea of just seeing a face like that, it's always resonated with me. It's like the makeup, It's it was so simple, yet it's never been replicated. I've never seen makeup on film yet that is just as effective as creating this tension this visual fear like every time i think of fear i think of your face and wow. obviously that 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 the reason why you're there and why you did it that you put you showed what this idea this deity this demon could be but it's it is so it's like for the obviously in the book you talk about this but just when you you shoot that day of the shooting where you they get the content for that it's it, it's so surreal just reading about it. I would have loved to have been there in hindsight. Just be like, man, we're witnessing history here because this is so awesome. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too is, thank you, um, that I don't know who came up with the idea of, of you. What it was was a makeup test that they replicated. And I don't know who came up with that idea, I just know it's the last thing of the whole film that was shot. And sadly for me, uh, Dick Smith, the makeup genius, um, yes. uh, I, he moved to California. He was suffering a little bit of dementia and I met him for lunch and his caretaker, which she wasn't really a caretaker, but she helped him, enabled him to come out to, from Connecticut to California and he was living in an assisted living place, but we had lunch and she said, don't, don't ask him any personal questions. He won't be able to answer, you know, just keep it really simple. And she intimidated me. Oh, and don't get him to sign any pictures for you, but I have about six that he signed. Okay. And I wanted to ask him, where did the idea come from? Who decided to use that in the film? But I never did because she intimidated me, and then sadly he passed on. It's it, to touch back on that again. That idea of to see that face. I know recent movies like Insidious, uh, The Nun, some of these other horror movies out there, which I'm not to bash them, but you could tell like some of the James Wan or the other directors, your vision of Ca the Captain Howdy is in the back of their brain because those quick shots of a demon's face, or it's just it's just really cool that. Every time I see a movie now, and obviously millions of other fans out there are going to be like, the part of them should always be like, well, Ali did it first. And it's again, it's <laughs> it's just really cool you're here talking about this because you literally scared the hell out of me for a good part well, of my youth. Well, so. Ali didn't really do it first. Um, you know, Dick Smith and Owen Rosman, the cameraman, really did it first. I don't know what Billy Freeman was doing. 
but um, it, it was the concept between the two of them that did it and the editors that, you know, yes. in the first version, you only saw the face of death once. Yep. And people would come out of the movies, I understood, and they go, did you see that face? What face? The face. And then they go see it again because obviously there were no VCRs then. And then when they got the VCRs, you couldn't stop it. And it wasn't right. really until the DVRs came out that you could actually stop the frame and you could actually see it. So it was this ongoing process, but really, you know, they say it was subliminal. It wasn't subliminal. Subliminal means that you can't see anything. It wasn't right. subliminal. Um, it was just that moment in time. And yeah, that's uh, even to this day, people are saying it was a really scary movie, such as, you know, the editing was amazing. The hand on the doorknob coming into the room, the editors, I think absolutely made that film along with Bill Blatty, who wrote the screenplay. Yep. Um, and they did that with French Connection too, that, that's all in the editing. But that face, whoever decided to put it in where they put it in, or maybe it was editing, um, uh, they were just absolutely brilliant because people come up to me in shows all the time, like you said, and said, you ruined my life. You, you know, you were in my nightmares for years. A little five-year-old, his uncle took him to see the show and said, don't, don't throw me under the bus. You know, it's kind of child abuse. It was like, but don't throw me under the bus. I'll get in a lot of trouble. So the little boy said he thought there was a monster living under his bed for five years. But, you know, that movie has become the scariest part of the movie. I don't know if that's what's given it the longevity. I, I, I doubt it. But, yeah, and so I'm very gratified that that happened. You mentioned uh, the conventions and stuff like that. Obviously, your fans are awesome, supportive of you, receptive of everything you do. But how cool is it, especially after the last two years where – the world kind of shut down as it opens back up again. You can get to get to reconnect with these fans again at conventions. And how thrilling is that for you that people from all ages, guys, girls, all walks of life, man, I I love to take a picture with you. Can you sign this? Like, how cool is that for you? Oh man, you know, I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but why not? <laughs> um, I I'm so incredibly blessed, and working a con is actually very tiring. And my oh, husband yeah. always says, "How are you?" I said, "I'm tired." because you want to be there for, you know, your fans and happy and gracious and funny. And I, I get down on my hands and knees every day and thank the universe for allowing me this opportunity. I mean, what are there, like nothing of a 1% type of people? You, you can't even add it up, the people who get to make money signing your name on a picture. And so right. I don't... I don't understand divas and people that don't understand the opportunity that, that they've been given to, to do this. And so I love doing them. Yeah. I did so answer your question. I did um, four shows last year after we kind of opened up, but two of them yep. were huge. And um, it was nice to be back there. And and most I know with, people, have been, I'm sorry, but most people have been vaccinated by then. Yeah, it's uh, I know a lot of these movies and stuff, they always have these anniversaries. But like you said, you you have that fractured relationship with Linda Blair. Has there ever been a time where anyone from the movie or has been together once, whether it's a private dinner or it just, it just seems so sad that it came to that. 
and I think, and sorry to cut you off, but I think I, that's why I want people to read this book is because you get the understanding that you were just doing your job. And I, I felt a lot of like sadness in the book, but when it, when it is part of your life, but I think by you writing this book, it brought a lot of closure to you. And I think people understand what really happened for this movie. And I think it's a, a really cool thing that you put out here because people need to know what really would happen without no bias. Like here's what happened. Here's the facts. And the fact you put your name out here and did this, I think it's, it's just, it's solidified for me, like your iconic status, especially uh, in the horror genre. Well, I chose not to say anything bad about anybody. Right. You know, I, I just, I told stories, but they were, I didn't see any point in it being some kind of a hate book, you know. Now, right. I know uh, Linda, Linda and I have done one show together. She still hates me after what's going to be 50 years. Can you believe it? <laughs> she still blames me for not having a career. So... It, the only problem I have with her, because I really could give a damn, um, is that it's cost me a lot of money because the promoters, the promoters that don't understand that she's not a good guest. Um, if they have to choose between Linda and me, they'll always choose Linda and Linda won't do shows with me. Um, they'll choose Linda because they believe she brings in more traffic. And it's not till after the show, apparently, that she keeps people waiting 45 minutes. She doesn't tip, blah, blah, blah. Um, we did one show together because I was booked in the show first. And um, Bill Philpott and his uh, Days of the Dead um, asked me if it would be okay if Linda came. And I said, sure, I got no problem with that. But right. I never saw her. She was in one room. I was in the, the best room. <laughs> um, I never saw her, but I made a fortune. You know, I made so much money because people would go to her and then come to me and ask me to sign. There was one point that Linda wouldn't sign anything if I signed oh. it. That was that bad. And the, the fans who wrote me, they said, wait a minute. <laughs> I have nothing to do with that. I bought this poster, sign it. And sometimes she just wouldn't. When's the last time you've ever had that makeup on? Like, has there ever been approached you like a promoter saying, hey, could you do photo ops with this iconic makeup on? I did that and it was a disaster. Like you said, it just can't be replicated. It looks so simple. And we did it at a show called Monster Palooza in right. Burbank. It was a disaster. I was so upset. And then <laughs> it took forever to put it on, which meant I left the table and everybody left when I was trying to take it off. And I finally found someone to take it off. But it's a disaster. They don't have Pazuzu masks for Halloween. You know, they don't have, they, no one's been able to, um, to do it. All they can do is take the original picture. And there's a lot of cease and desist going on, but nobody cares. <laughs> like all the things on t-shirts yeah. and all that kind of stuff I mean, on Munch boxes, I have two of them. Um, uh, the, none of them, I believe, to this day are sanctioned by Warner Brothers. I see the uh, Pazuzu statue behind you. I know you're into art as well. How did you kind of jump into that idea of... Because You guys can get those statues on your, your website. I, I sell them. Yes, and they're just amazing. But so how did you kind of start with the artwork? Like, is that something you've always been oh, interested in? Oh, no, that, that wasn't me at all. It was a, a great guy. I met him 
at uh, heart. This is it, guys. Cool, huh? It's awesome. It's also good luck for pregnant women. Don't know yeah, why. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, there's a. I, I did a show in Colorado. Wow, probably almost about 18 years ago, and I met a great guy named Rich Pearson who actually, you know what he does? He makes those little things that go in front of grocery stores, those horses and stuff. Yeah. So he has a whole studio and he said he would make that statue for me, which is, you can see in one of my eight by 10 photographs that um, it's kind of blue and I'm going like that and the statues behind him. So Rich, he made those statues for me and for 20 years, um, almost 20 years, he's been making them for me, shipping them to me at a great price. And then I was able to sell them. No, it's awesome. Again, that you get to be part of that. One of my uh, other favorite movies you're in, uh, Constantine. With, I just uh, went, let me finish that, okay? Yeah. Um, I actually have a store. I mean, when I do cons, I have a little store. They have to put two tables up for me because I also have the Pazuzu head which was molded oh. after the very original one that they find at the beginning of the movie. And um, I should have that up there, but it is the, the head from the statue. And I have the original script. I have Captain Howdy's green pea soup, <laughs> oh, which, awesome. which we created. And I have DVDs, but nobody buys them because everybody's seen it, uh, you know, on, on, on they stream it. And uh, of course, probably, six or eight different screenshots from the movie and um not only do i have a store here we go here's the pitch no, I, I <laughs> at eileendeeds.com but don't order from there because it's not set up to order if you want to buy anything please just um i don't know the difference between pm and dm but do one of them <laughs> on yeah, facebook or yeah, send Facebook, yes, and your email is on your website and store as well. Yeah, so. or my email, which is Eileen at EileenDeeds.com, and I'll I'll give you all the details and prices and stuff like that. And hey, wouldn't Pazuzu look great in your Easter basket? I, I, <laughs> Why not? Three sixty-five. Uh, I know you get asked this a lot, but the 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 green pea soup stuff. How many takes was that? Because I picture. I hate split pea soup. I had a bad experience with it. And the visual of that always makes me gag. So <laughs> for you, like how, like when it comes to takes like that, how, when Frederick was like, okay, okay, uh, we're going to do the split pea soup again. We're going to do this fight with Father Karras or the crucifixion scene. Like how many times did you have to do certain stuff where it got to the point where it's like, do you have the shot yet? Really freaking used to like to shoot as far as I remember take after take after take yeah. after Ooh. take and owen rosman the cameraman sometimes would say that's not going to work it's not going to cut together and freaking would go shoot it anyway shoot it anyway then that's why that film took 14 months from pre-production to post-production because we reshot just about everything and he took down the um, the living room set, and we were all kind of on this great unemployment, <laughs> but for a couple of weeks. So um, I I don't actually remember. I I know the vomiting apparatus. I used to smoke cigarettes at the time. God forbid. Ooh. 
So I couldn't smoke. I couldn't talk good. And that's really rough. And uh, I obviously couldn't eat and stuff like that. So that was the discomfort of it. But also, they didn't tell Jason Miller, who, of course, played Father Karras, yep. that this was happening. And he was very displeased. <laughs> well, it, it was, it was a and cool then, way to I mean, it worked on the first take, but like yeah. the freaking fired off guns for that other scene. It works on the first take. It's like, what the fuck was that when the gun went off? But right. after the third or fourth, come on, you know. So um, I, I really don't know. I know we changed nightgowns a couple of times. And the right. same thing about the, the abuse of the cross sequence. I don't I don't really know. The so one of my other favorite movies you jumped you were part of is Constantine with Keanu Reeves. You played like this undead kind of zombie type person. Yeah, but it's not in the movie. Which is weird. That's why I want to talk about. It. It's like how often does that happen? Where it's like you have someone prolific like you, who is really good, obviously amazing with the prosthetics and the makeup and all this stuff, and the legacy you have. Where the director like does does that is that just like a a, a time constraint or like what's the process behind that? It depends can, what it is. You know, in Constantine, they they shot those zombies for the opening credits. And by yes. the way, a guy named Sam Anderson did the makeup, which is phenomenal. And I have them on my table just because the makeup is so phenomenal. And I figured I should tell them it's from The Walking Dead. Who would know? <laughs> but um, that, I mean, that's what happened. They, they just, they shot it for the credits and decided not to do the credits. So what can you do? And Strangely, I get a little residual from it, and I loved working with Keanu Reeves. Everything they say about him is absolutely true, and I tried to make him laugh <laughs> because it was so weird. Halloween 2 is a totally different story, and number one, Rob Zombie tends to hire more people than he needs. I don't know why. Um, right. A friend of mine has been hired three times and cut three times. The scene I did for Halloween 2 it's a very, very funny scene. And it lasts maybe a minute or two minutes. And it just opens up with Michael Myers going through my garbage. And I call SpongeBob. <laughs> and I say, there's this guy going through my garbage, blah, blah, blah. It's very sweet and nice. Um, yep. I live outside of Haddonfield. And SpongeBob and the cops, they start laughing at me and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably Bigfoot. I go, no, no, it's not Bigfoot. You know, he's just big. And then they go, Oh, it's probably a rabbit. And then my character totally turns and goes, it ain't no fucking rabbit. You know, and then you go, oh, he's gone. Sorry to bother you. That's the whole scene. And it's very yeah. funny. And I think the movie is very, very dark. It is. And it didn't get into the, uh, it just didn't get into the final cut. Um, I, I, who knows why? So the, and that's more painful than than Constantine. Right, especially because you feel like you've done the you do the work, like your work, you're doing a really good thing. When it comes to, uh, do you feel more confident with makeup, uh, prosthetics, all this stuff on, or do you feel like if you could just be yourself? I'd say that, but with no makeup on in a movie. Oh no, like, no, it, it okay. doesn't make any difference at all. No, I, no. Um, it's because I'm always curious too, because something with your with your legacy with the prosthetics, and obviously with Captain Howdy, like you're kind of. If I'm these people, I'm like, man, I, I want to have her here because she's she, it's just to give proper homage. I would think I think that's a lot of things you're hinting at 
like Rob Zombie likes to bring in a lot of uh, he brings in like people like D Wallace, yourself, uh, Malcolm McDowell, all these other like iconic horror and thriller actors and actresses. But it seems like I don't know. Sometimes it's kind of it lo- as long as it serves the plot, I think it's a really cool touch. But sometimes too much can be kind of I don't know too much maybe. Well, it's funny. A lot of people are using my Pazuzu statue in their films, <laughs> just as background. So I don't know if that becomes too much or it becomes my brand or something like that. But um, no, there was a while there. It seemed like all I did was makeup stuff all the time. Um, My mother even said, won't they ever make you look pretty? You know, so then I did Helter Skelter and I didn't look pretty in that either. Uh, um, But now recently, and I humbly tell you, that I've shot 14 films in the last year and a half. And I just got back from New Jersey, as you know, where I shot a right. wonderful little short about twins. And I am a twin. And the twin in the film got killed in an auto accident. And my character is going into dementia. Your sister wrote uh, a book too, correct? My sister wrote 18, but that's a different sister. That's okay, that's, gotcha. a, that's my older sister. Yep. I was talking about my twin sister. Yeah, uh, her name is Denise Dietz. And if you're looking for books to read out there, she's written 18 and they're horror, mis- they're not horror, they're mystery comedies. And they're very funny, like one place that's a Weight Watchers group and they're all nuns <laughs> that are trying to lose weight. And I don't know if you, this is... You guys are too young. There's a comic strip with Tubby and little Lulu, and they got yep. two characters like that. So they're all getting killed. And wow, uh, you know, like she has the protagonist, you know, um, the kind of detective, almost grown-up Nancy Drew type stuff or murder she wrote. And then I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but she wrote one that everybody that got together on Tuesdays to watch MASH <laughs> are getting killed. And then another one then Go to her website. It's denisedeets.com. Um, the other one's just great. It's all puns. And it, it's about this artist that gets killed. And all the clues are in puns. So it, it's very funny, but it's also a really good mystery. That's denisedeets.com. Growing up, were you guys all in the arts and writing and theater and movies? Like It seems like your family is very... Like, was this something that your parents instilled upon you, or once your sister started, you started, and vice versa? Um, hmm. um, that's an interesting question. Um, no, my, my father um, did uh, photography with models, he did commercial photography. He wasn't the photographer, though, he was a salesperson, and um. That's in the book too. <laughs> when he thought I could be dissuaded from being an actress if he put me over at the Eileen Ford agency where they were so tall and beautiful. So, um, but to, but to touch on that though, it's funny because is your dad was a photographer and do with models. The one of the most iconic images in all of film is your face in makeup as Pazuzu, and I think that there's some, there's some really funny irony to that whole thing. Um, I'm sorry, I was just checking something on <laughs> my phone. That's so rude. It's all good. Uh, what did you say? No, so I found it interesting that your father was a photographer and they all oh, be a model, do all this type of stuff. But your image, 
is Pazuzu is one of the most iconic images ever photographed and videographed. I just find great humor in that, that, hey, dad, I got my picture out there and it was playing a, a demon. Well, I mean, unfortunately, he, he passed before that. My mother was still alive, but he passed before that. So he, he never saw, he never saw me be successful, actually, which is, actually, I got reviewed from the PBS special I did with uh, Sam Waterston in yep. the New York Times. So that helped about just being successful. But, you know, my father, knowing the modeling business and how few people became successful, I suppose deep down inside his lack of support um, was because he was worried about me and all his models were also sleeping around. <laughs> and so I guess he really believed that there was no way you could get successful except by the casting couch. But when you do what like for you what's tougher or easier i guess for filming purposes whether it's a movie or something say like guiding light or play of the apes or general hospital like is there a difference between the filming speeds of which something gets oh, well, done? film is much much slower okay. I, except today and that's not true today because they're shooting indie films and in, you know three or four days depending right. on the size of the part um you know, and I don't mind doing cameos. I do cameos for like really small films because these young filmmakers want my name, <laughs> you know? So right. I, I, I do, I, like I said, I keep bringing it up, but in Jersey, I just, that was a short film. Um, um, sitcoms terrified me more than anything I've ever done because they change lines on you when you're waiting to go on and there's an audience there. It's just really scary. I haven't done one in a long time, <laughs> but I love doing the soap. And you know, I did first. I did Guiding Light, and then I did General Hospital for a couple of years. And you could, had to learn thirty lines overnight sometimes, so there was no preparation time on that. And network television gives you a lot less. Film gives you the most time. But, you know, it's something you get used to doing. And I just did a wonderful movie that I'd love you guys to look for. It's called Night of the Caregiver. Awesome. And it's basically a two-character film. And it was produced by a man named Alexander Nail. He's Russian, and he sounds just like Arnold. <laughs> he, he's a three-time uh, Mr. Universe winner. And we were going to open this film big in Russia, so I don't. Right. God knows what's going to happen with that now, but um, yeah. So that 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 I did about seven scenes and a two minute monologue. Um, awesome. But and it's a great little film, and I think maybe it could break through. We're all looking for these films to break through, like James Wan did, you know. Right. And hoping our films will be the next James Wan, and sometimes they, you know, they're on. Um, Everything's on Tubi now, uh, which is kind of nice. Or they're on Netflix. Or they're you know someplace else. They are streaming, but that's as far as they get. So, and I think the, the how that happens. The power of the horror fandom, I think, is so powerful. They're very receptive to whether it's indie or big budget. They're going to let their voices heard. I think that's really cool that they still continue to support this genre. That. I think if more people watch horror or just enjoyed it, I think we'd be better off as a society as opposed to all the beatdowns we get from the news and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I also think that it's kind of carth carthetic, it's carthetic, it's very, very carthetic, carthetic. Yeah. That, that 
uh, often like riding a roller coaster that the news is so bad and yes. so horrible and seeing images of the Ukraine now yep. um, that, that watching a horror film you can get a controlled kind of horror when it's good when the films are good um, controlled kind of horror and it has a beginning a middle and an end and um, most of the time horror ends happily Yes. Or they end happy with a sequel. <laughs> right. Then, uh, but most of the time, it, it, it is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you can really get scared, um, that's that's all the power to them. And we often sit around and talk about which films that are being shot now that'll be classics like Halloween or Texas Chainsaw or Friday yep. the 13th or yada yada. If there was a, a, a kid that came up to you at a convention that really wanted to get into acting and kind of just had questions about it, what would be your number one advice to tell that child? Like, would you would you want them? Would you tell them the truth? Yeah, go, go away. Go away. <laughs> get yourself a life. Because um, I would tell them that um, for me, it was 100% commitment, you know, and because when I started acting, we didn't have, obviously, cell phones we didn't even have answering services so you basically had to stay home or you would miss that call and um that's exactly what happened when i shot steam bath with tony perkins i was home on a sunday afternoon and i had an audition for it and they called me and they said we need you to come down to the theater right now if you can't make it then we'll go to our next choice so it, i would say that it's it, for me it, it's just a well, and Malcolm McDowell, because we talked about this, um, it's a hundred percent commitment, and um, you just have to be there. You have to be ready. You have to, you know, luck for me is, you know, being there at the right time and being prepared. Because if you're not prepared, don't matter. And right. so you have to prepare either way you do it. Go to an acting class, you know. Uh, definitely do student films or something just a small part so you see how the business works and so you don't look like, like some kind of dummy when they say action you know um on soaps they don't they go three two they, they don't they don't tell you the one so you have it's so you know what i mean learn your craft learn what you're doing it, be totally available don't get a full-time job don't get spend a lot of money in credit cards or in new car or on the other hand, LA is really, really difficult to start a career here now because the apartments are so expensive. Yes. I live in an old monastery, and so that's been set. Thank you, God. Yeah. And I've been here over thirty years, um, but the rents are so high, and you know, and there is your car, and there is insurance. So somehow you have to find a way to balance that. And people used to get a lot of jobs working on answering machines, but that don't happen anymore. But you still have to get. In my theory, you can't have two careers. You can't be, um, you know, an, a lawyer or an assistant lawyer and an actor. For some right. reason, it just doesn't work. Um, any kind of professional, you have to find jobs that um, you can leave. I used to waitress and then quit, and then waitress and then quit. So that's what I would say. But most of all, it has to be so important to you, in my opinion so yeah. important to you that you just can't let it go. And like right. I said, the other biggest thing, um, interestingly enough in the book, the reason I was cast in 
the exorcist. And I was ready. I auditioned for it, got the part. They actually took it away from some other girl. And um, actually, Carol Kane did read poetry <laughs> as an opening. But um, yeah, so I got the opportunity to audition for this show called Ontological Proof of My Existence, which means there is no proof. And two agents came to see it. And they are the ones that asked me if I wanted to audition for The Exorcist. So Just be awesome. there, be ready, be prepared, and be ready, be able somehow to work for no money and still be able to live. I mean, we what? were, when I was acting, starting acting in New York, my, my, my roommate and I, we were on some diet, the micro diet. It was a micro diet. It was basically vegetarian with tuna fish <laughs> until we found out that tuna fish had mercury in it. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, that's, I mean, even to this day, my husband and I still have that same habit. We, we don't go out to restaurants. We don't spend money in restaurants. We don't, you know, go to bars and stuff like that. It's, so that's the commitment that you have to have. Right. One of the really interesting things you do, and it obviously it's talked about in the book here, uh, your history with hold like, the book up. Hold the book up when you do that. The uh, there you go. Yes, and you, <laughs> you actually get this off. Uh, just message Eileen, uh, and she can get you hooked up with this, and she'll autograph it too. Uh, one of the what I love about the book is like you, you obviously people are going to pick it up because they they want to learn about see hear some stuff about the Exorcist, but the little details about you into radio or rodeo barrel racing and horseback riding, like stuff like that, I find super interesting. So. Like, if you could kind of just briefly kind of talk about the what exactly is rodeo barrel racing? <laughs> well, it's basically exactly what it says. You're in a showroom and they put barrels on the ground and the horse has to go around the barrels through like an S and stuff like yep. that and then come back. And the other thing I used to do because I was small is I don't know what they call it, but they pick you up and throw you in the back of the saddle when they're running. And right now I'm up for doing a Western in New Mexico, but I don't know what's going on with that. So one can only hope the universe um, does it for you, but you'll be the first to know. <laughs> it's awesome. It's called Dead River, by the way, and it's a great script. And so and if you guys see that movie coming out, then absolutely look for it. And I might just not look right. You have to get to that point in your career that you did a, you know, a great audition, everything's going right, but they want someone that looks like they've been in the sun you know, for years, which I don't well, really have that look. If they're gonna need a female that has, a, has worked with horses and trained and competed with horses, I think you'd be a good fit for it. I do too. <laughs> let's, let's call him up and tell him. I'm done. We'll call him right now. Really, uh, the only thing I think we, would be if they're looking for a certain look, which happens, gotcha. you know, everywhere, network TV, television, everywhere. Um, you have to act, but you also have to look right first. And there's nothing you can do about that. You know, you, you come indicating a, maybe some wardrobe or something like that. But there's really nothing you can do. I don't have a lot of wrinkles in my face. Um, thank you, God. Um, I got some here. Yeah. Um, but I don't really look like I've been in the sun that long. So who knows? But it's Dead River. Look for it. That'll be exciting. When you're not 
behind the camera or in front of the camera, whatever you're doing with filming, what do you and your husband do? Are there any hobbies you do that you'd be kind of like, maybe whether it's- Yeah, we're only interested in two things. And it was lucky we found each other because we have a boat, little 30 foot boat, because it fits in our garage. And we take it out at least twice a year to Lake Mojave, which is outside of um, Laughlin, Nevada. And there's nobody there when we go. There's nobody there at night. It's just the two of us. And we just sit there in the boat at night and count shooting stars and get competitive with, oh, look, look. And Thomas would go, what, where? I didn't say it. So, and the the mornings are just simply beautiful. It's very, very hot, but it's very beautiful. Found somebody, we both found somebody who loves camping. We call it boat camping because we yep. don't go camping anywhere else except by the lake. And your other question is, we're degenerate sports gamblers. <laughs> and, Are you? Yep, absolutely. We, we go to Vegas. We did go to Vegas three times a year into the lockdown. And two yep. years ago was the first time we didn't go in over 30 years. But uh, we went again. We did go. I did a wonderful show. If any of you guys go to Nevada, go to the Mad Monster Museum. It's right outside. Oh, yeah. I did that a couple months ago. Amazing. And so nice. Tom Devlin is the best. So after we did that and took really good care of me and stuff. And after we did that, um, we did go to the sports book at Caesars. That's where we go. And... um, bet football and then we went there for christmas new year's so we generally go there three times a year and bet football are you uh professional or college like or you just really bad i love i I love both of them and i love college football uh thomas really likes the pros better yep he'll watch you you know some college football and when we're in vegas obviously he'll be into he makes little bets on college football and bigger bets on the nfl I've always fascinated into that. I've never got into, I've never got into it because I don't understand it. I think if I, I the problem is if I did understand it, I would get not addicted, but I, I would enjoy it, but maybe a little bit too much. So it's, it's, it's one of those things too, where it's like, I'm like, how do you research when it comes to sports gambling? Are you going based on, I mean, I know some people, uh, the weather, uh, if a loved one passed away, <laughs> they, get, they get like, like deep into research. Are you guys that into it? Yes, but in a different way. Like we don't do fantasy football either. Okay. But um, you know, during the winter months, you you might check the weather. Except interestingly enough, people think if it's raining, it's going to be a low score, and that's not true. The only thing that makes a low score is wind. Um, right. And then you can't throw the ball, and you can. You know, but even snow, they can run the ball. So we do that. Thomas reads up a lot. I like know, that. Just on the just on the internet and he watches um there's you know several networks like the nfl channel and espn that he'll watch and find out what's going on and stuff like that but it's not compulsive or obsessive but then you just get a feeling as i do too i was gonna write a book i haven't written it yet you should a woman's guide to football for everybody that doesn't understand football i think you should because i would read it Okay, okay. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to leave it by, you know, a small book and leave it by the cash register. So men would buy it for their women that they just wish could get interested in football. 
uh, or or just buy it from themselves. But you've inspired me. Maybe I'll do it. It's just going to be sure. really simple, just like the absolute simple basics of, um, of football. And I it's a good place for women to meet men because men come up to me in Vegas at Caesars and, and they say, um, uh, you know, where'd you find her? She'll sit and watch football for 10 hours a day. And just interestingly enough, what, what, I, what I say is, if you bet on football, it'll make it much more interesting other than your home team teams. But right. not gonna bet money with a partner. So we have what we call gimmies. And you, it could be a, a full massage. It's really, if, hey honey, I want some ice cream. You have to go get it, you know, or clean up the kitchen. So you make little bets that work for you. And I got to tell everybody out there, if you have a bet on a game, no matter how big or small or what it is, all of a sudden that game becomes really fascinating to you. And I mean, I don't much like basketball, except during the playoffs, but right. I'll put it in some bets. And all of a sudden, well, I watched UCLA. That was amazing. Um, yes. But if you, that's, that's my whole thing. And listen, I don't know if time's getting short, but I have to do this. When we were talking about scary movies, Yes. Uh, Thomas Churchill that just makes so many movies. I worked for him. I did a, a film called Amityville Harvest. And there's such a great jet, uh, jump scare in that book. Yep. Um, in that film that, uh, that you're going to love it. And Joe Castro did the makeup, who's a genius. And, you know, I talked about um, uh, The Night of the Caregiver. Yep. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. I play a really nice lady that well, you have to watch it. <laughs> I, I love that you're still so prolific. I mean, 14 movies in a little over a year is insane. And it's, I love, I, that still, I love that you're still passionate about what you do. And I think that's a good example for people that no matter what your job is, love what you do and don't be afraid to keep doing it. And I think you're- Oh, absolutely. And don't want the negativity, but let me, um, um, you know, just mention, um, I, I did a film called Compatible that hasn't come out yet. I did a wonderful film called Of the Devil, which is a, just a really good film. It, it, it's not scary. It's more like a thriller. And I think there's a difference between thrillers and horror. It right. really has plots and people that you care about. Um, horror today tends to just be blood and guts and stuff. So I have to mention Of the Devil. You guys can write this all down and look for them. They're, they're all going to be somewhere. Um, and then, like you said, I actually went to Oregon twice and just did little cameos because they wanted me to come and i i like flying um yeah. i don't like getting to the airport but i i like flying yeah. and then uh jason hawkins has done a bunch of films and the last one i did for him was called the last sleigh ride s-l-a-y oh, and nice. i played oh this is great i played granny vampire and it was like a christmas eve celebration i'm just going around me me, I need me, I need me. Where's the meat? Where is everybody? What happened to everybody? Where are some? You know, I, I need blood. And it's so the whole movie's so funny, and my character was so funny. So That's awesome. Oh, I have to one mention another horror comedy I did called Abnormal, Abnormal Attraction by these guys called Fuzz on the Lens. And it's just a real fun movie. It has Malcolm McDowell in it and Bruce Davison and some other horror icons. So that's my pitch for the films I did. Not so much for me, but for them. 
<laughs> no, it's awesome. And again, I, I appreciate your time, Eileen. And I love seeing that you're still so happy about what you do. And I think that, that, that actually brings me joy. So I can't uh, recommend everyone pick up this book. Uh, if you want the, uh, I know it's on Amazon and stuff, but they should all go through you. Uh, yeah, don't, don't go through Amazon. Don't go through Amazon. And then, you and then you can, autograph. Right. You get an autograph. You get the uh, you get a statue of the Pazuzu uh, and check out all her latest movies and work. Uh, I lead. It's been awesome having you on here. It's been awesome with, uh, working with you. And I actually let you talk. <laughs> no, it's good. It's uh, This is awesome. And uh, again, I wish you all the success and uh, we shall chat soon. Okay, and don't be afraid, you guys out there, to PM me only if it's about buying something. If you get personal, this demon is going to get really angry. Or yeah. uh, feel free to email me. Coming out. You yeah. emailed me, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. So awesome. uh, feel free to email me. That's just fine. Goodbye, everybody. Have a wonderful life. Watch my movies. Watch Dead River. <laughs> and have a wonderful, what? Easter. <laughs> Easter. Easter season. Thank you. Okay, bye. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.